Okay, so we are plotting through Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 and trusting in the Lord with all thine heart and leaning not on thy own understanding in all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct all thy paths. And I've been going through some expected results of those who indeed live their lives trusting in the the Lord and acknowledge him acknowledge him in their lives. One is guidance. We talked a little bit about guidance. The other one is happiness. Uh, There is that true joy that comes from knowing the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And what we're talking about now is the uh, third expectation or um, yeah, the third expectation, uh, which is uh, prosperity. Uh, third result of trusting in the Lord, and I am not a prosperity gospel preacher, I'm, I'm not, but for those of us who do trust in the Lord, uh, we understand that there's a prosperity that goes way beyond our substance, our wealth. There is a prosperity that we can experience spiritually. Uh, materially, if you go by the principles of God's word, yes, there will be a blessing as far as that's concerned because it helps you in managing of your, of your finances and stuff, but that's a whole different lesson. But certainly, spiritually, we will prosper, we will be successful if we trust in the Lord with all of our hearts and lean not unto thy own understanding. Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 4 says, By humility and the fear of the Lord, are riches and honor and and life. And so currently under this this, um, heading of uh, prosperity, uh, for those who trust in the Lord and acknowledge him in all their ways, uh, on top of that there's also uh, 12 things that um, are good principles in regards to one's um, stewardship. In other words, one's attitude of heart towards those things uh, that God has uh, blessed us with. Uh, um, Honor God with your wealth. We've talked about that. Uh, God's wisdom is more valuable than stuff. We spoke about that. Uh, Righteousness is more profitable than wealth. And then here's the fourth one that we're coming up to. And that is fearing God is our our true treasure. Fearing God is our true treasure. Have you have you started to notice a a pattern here in regards to, yeah, you put God first in everything. You put God first in everything. Um, you know that's that is that is uh, acknowledging Him in all of our ways. So when you place God first in your life, then all of this other stuff has a tendency to just fall in line. It just does. It's just, it, that's just where it goes. And so uh, when we put God first, if we have our heart attitude correct in these matters, which we know that the heart attitude is the key to everything, right? So as long as our heart attitude is in the right place, then the expectation is, is such. Uh, um, Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. And so as we, you know, keep God number one in our heart, then that helps us deal with, with the issues of life because it's in the arena of the heart that the, that the war is either won or lost. Really it is. It's, it's, it's the attitude of the heart where the battle is, is won or lost. Um, so the Lord is not only the Lord over our life, but he's also the Lord over our stuff. 
And as long as, as, long as we keep that in mind, I think we're going to be okay. Um, did you know that the Bible refers to the fear of the Lord as a treasure? You didn't know that? Yeah. Isaiah, turn to Isaiah 33.5. I want you to see this. Uh, fearing the Lord is vital, especially for those of us who know Jesus as our Savior. If we want to live a, a prosperous life, uh, then it is very, very important that we settle this in our hearts, that, that, the, that He is our Lord. But look at Isaiah 33, verses 5 through 6. It says, The Lord is exalted, for he dwelleth on high. He hath filled Zion with judgment and righteousness, and wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability of thy times and strength of salvation. And look what it says here. The fear of the Lord is his treasure. The fear of the Lord is his treasure. Now, of course, uh, this is a, in Isaiah, an Old Testament book. This is a promise that God had made to Israel that would be fulfilled whenever Israel's hard attitude toward God was right. But this would be especially fulfilled in that future messianic kingdom when the Lord Jesus Christ comes and sets up the kingdom of heaven on earth. And then indeed, uh, Israel, the remnant, the surviving remnant that have passed through the great tribulation, uh, they'll enter into the kingdom of heaven and this verse will become a reality to them. So when the remnant finally enters into the kingdom, this truth about the fear of the Lord being their treasure, uh, they will experience, they will, they will experience this truth uh, firsthand. Uh, and even though this passage is written to the Jews as far as the treasure of the fear of the Lord, it is our treasure as well in the New Testament. It is also our treasure as well. Turn to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We also possess a great treasure. We also possess a great treasure. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Raise your hand when you're there. Thank you. <laughs> it says here in verse 6, For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts... To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Now what is the earthen vessel that Paul is talking about? Us. Our bodies. Right? Us. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. So we have this treasure within us. We have this treasure within us. And we display the attribute of fearing the Lord. We showcase this inner treasure to others when we honor and obey the Lord, when we fear God. That's what it means when we reverence God, when we're faithful to God. When we, according to 1 Thessalonians 4, 4, when we possess our uh, vessels in sanctification and honor. That's how we showcase this treasure. You know, you go into a jewelry store, right, and they've got these glass cases so that you can look through the glass and see all of that treasure under there. 
I love what Brian, uh, 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 Pastor Brian one time said, and they, I even wrote it down in my Bible. He says, uh, when we die to self, the flesh becomes transparent and the glory of Christ shines through. So just like that display case in a jewelry store, when we are displaying the fear of God or the treasure of God by, you know, our living and by our words of grace to others, we're like that jewelry case. We're shining forth the treasure that's within. When we're living in the spirit and not letting the flesh run the show, we're displaying that treasure within. 1 Peter chapter 1. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 14. First Peter 1 Peter 1.14, he says, As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. That's when we display that treasure. For if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, he says, Pass the time of your sojourning here in what? Fear, reverence, respect, esteem for God. Second Timothy, Paul wrote about vessels in a great house. And we're all part of God's great house, are we not? If you are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, you are part of the household of God, according to, I believe, it's Ephesians chapter 2 or 3. And some of these vessels in this great house, some of these vessels are for honor, and some of these vessels are on to dishonor. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 20. If you're real quick, you can get there before I finish. But in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 20, it says, But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, some to, dis some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, and he's talking about that flesh being in control, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet for the master's use, or fitting for the master's use. And we want to be fitting for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. He says, therefore, flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So we display the fear of the Lord, that treasure within us, which is Christ Jesus, we display that fear of the Lord, that esteem, that love and awe for God by keeping our vessels as vessels of honor for God's use. But when we let the flesh run the show, right, then those vessels are vessels of dishonor. And they need to be cleaned up. Now how do we clean up this vessel? 1 John 1.9, right? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So when we get dirty, when the flesh takes over, we repent of that, we confess our sin, and then the Lord will cleanse us so that we can be useful again. And don't, don't we want to be useful? I know I do. 
I know, I know I've used this analogy before. You know, you've got some folks who have this fine uh, china, this little teacup that they keep behind a glass door and they only bring it out for special occasions because they don't want it to get chipped or damaged. A lot of people live their Christianity that way. You know, they treat themselves like they're a fine piece of china and it needs to be protected and has to, you know, you got to keep it in bubble wrap and you don't want to expose it. I don't want to be that. I want to be Tupperware. Right? I want to be Tupperware. I want to be for everyday use. Throw me in the dishwasher, pull me back out, and use me. I want to be Tupperware. You can keep your fine china. I, sometimes lemonade tastes better out of a mason jar. I'm sorry, it just does. It just does. So when we get dirty, we confess our sin and the Lord cleanses us. And that's something else, you know. Who in here has never sinned? Please raise your hand. Anybody? Nobody? So that, that means that everybody has sinned at some time or another. Here's the thing, guys. Don't wallow in that. Don't let that keep you down. Don't let that keep you defeated. Don't let that keep you... You know, it's like it, it's like it just browbeats you into submission. Don't do that. That's not where God wants you to be. That's not, that's not where God wants you to be. And there are people out there who will just keep reminding you of your failures, keep reminding you of your flaws and your faults. Don't let them keep you under their thumb. That's not where God wants you to be. That's not where he wants you to be. We, we, we can honor the Lord by not wallowing in our past failures. We honor the Lord when we confess our sin and repent of that sin and we live our lives for God. I love what Paul says in Philippians 3, 13 and 14. He says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Keep pressing on. Keep reaching. Because that's what he wants us to do. Don't wallow in your pity or don't wallow in your failure. That's not honoring the God. That's not letting that treasure shine. Does that make sense? Another way we can display an attitude of fearing the Lord is by esteeming and loving his word. Even above fine gold. Remember, we're talking about prosperity. Prosperity. Spiritual prosperity. Psalms 119, 127. Therefore I love thy commandments above gold, yea, above fine gold. Verse 128. Therefore I esteem, honor, respect all thy precepts concerning all things to be right. That's my judgment concerning God's word. Whatever God's word says is right. In spite of what the world says. And then he says, I hate every false way. My goodness, we are being inundated by false way. Lie after lie, deception after deception. In fact, they'll even lie about God's word and say, you can't trust what that book says. Yes, you can. 
Yes, you can. The Lord wants us to search for truth and wisdom and knowledge like a, like a prospector searches for gold. I mean, I, I watched this program. What is it called? Aussie Gold? Yeah, these guys get out there with metal detectors and they're digging and, and they're finding nuggets in this wasteland in the middle of Australia. Those nuggets don't come to them. They have to go out and get it. It's the same thing with God's Word. It's the same thing with God's Word. We search the Bible for, uh, for the purpose of, of meeting our needs, for comfort in, in, in our times of trouble, for sustenance, to strengthen the inner man, for direction in those times of, of confusion and uncertainty, for fellowship with the Father, to learn about our Savior. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You can't give an answer to those who need an answer if you're not looking up the answers. Having a good conscience, that's that vessel unto honor, that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. We study the word of God to sanctify the Lord in our hearts that we can tell others of the treasure of the hope that we possess. You see, that treasure is not for us to, to be like misers with and keep for ourselves. That treasure is meant to be shared. It's meant to be shared in meekness and fear, according to, according to Peter. You know, when we neglect the treasure that's in God's word, we deprive ourselves of a, of a vast storehouse of wealth. We are kind of like that famed derelict who died a pauper. And yet when they go to where he lived, they find out that he's been sleeping on a mattress stuffed full of cash. I remember reading that about some guy in New York City who lived a, 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 a derelict life and yet when he died and they discovered his dead body, his mattress was stuffed full of cash. That's how a lot of Christians live. They live like they're derelicts. They live like they're paupers. When they're sleeping on a mattress full of cash right here, they neglect God's word. Proverbs 10.4 says, He becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand, but the hand of the diligent maketh rich. We have to be diligent in our reading, in our study, in our meditating, in our memorizing. We have to be diligent. It takes work, effort, time. You know, it's interesting to me that... You know, we can, so many people can prove to be so diligent and they can prove to be so industrious about the things that they think is important or the things that they like to do. But when it comes to the Word of God, for some reason they become indolent, they become lazy, they become idle. 
You know that that enemy of ours, that trinity that we talked about in the epistle of James, the world, the flesh, and the devil, they're all the time giving you good reasons why not to put your nose in the book. They're always giving you excuses why you don't mine the treasure that's found in the book. They always give you something else to interest you, to get you away from the Word of God. Don't let it do it. Don't let them do it. Psalms 19.19 says, The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. You know, one of the lies that that wicked trinity will tell you is that the Word of God doesn't apply to your situation. Is that true? That the Word of God is not relevant for today. Is that true? No, it's not true. The Word of God is relevant. The Word of God does apply. In fact, right here in Psalms 19, it says that his, it endures forever. Endures forever. What was good in Paul's day, what was good in David's day, is good in our day too. Proverbs 23, 17 says, Let not thine heart envy sinners, but be thou in the fear of the Lord all the day long. Another lie utilized by the enemy is to re redirect our focus from the treasure of fearing God and telling us, that, hey, look at those sinners over there. They're getting along just fine without God. They've got everything that they need. They've got nice houses. They've got nice cars. They've got kids with clean nose. And they're doing all of this without God. Look at them. Is that not true? Look how well they are getting along without God. And you can too. Well, we know that's a lie. We know that's a lie. How often has envy of sinners been a motive for God's people to forsake God's treasure trove found in, the, found in the Word of God? And so they chase after the very things that sinners can't catch themselves. Proverbs 20.17 says, Bread of deceit is sweet to a man, but afterwards his mouth shall be filled with gravel. That's what happens when you envy the sinners and you start chasing after what the sinners are chasing after. At first it seems so sweet. It seems like the right thing to do. But what, what, have you ever had a mouthful of gravel? Try it sometime. Just go out there in the parking lot and scoop up a mouthful of gravel. Because that's exactly what it's going to be like if you chase after the envy of the sinners. You know, Demas was a man like that. Remember Demas in the, in the New Testament? We see, a, we see a digression in this man's life as Paul ends his epistles. In, in Philemon 1.24, he mentions Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas, my fellow laborers. Colossians 4.14, he mentions Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. 
And then finally, the last mention of Demas is found in 2 Timothy 4.10. For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved his, this present world and has departed unto Thessalonica. Demas begins as a fellow laborer. laborer. Then he's just plain Demas. And then he's forsaken Paul because he loves the world. It's a progression. That's how it goes. It's a progression. So many of God's people start out strong. They start out good. But then something is going on and then eventually they forsake. They take off. It doesn't happen overnight. It's a progression. We, that's why we have to guard our hearts against this present world. Demas is a man who took his eye off the prize and started focusing on a different prize. Proverbs 15, 16 says, Better is little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble therewith. You know, in the light of eternity, fearing the Lord is far better than gaining all the riches of this present world. That uh, seemingly going along to get along, that's a lie. That's a very successful lie. It's a, it's a superficial temporal appearance of success that fools the majority of people. Fools the majority of people. What is that old, old adage? All that glitters is not gold. Sometimes those little adages make sense. They really do. Now concerning fear, now stick with me on this. So Ron, don't jump up and call me a heretic when I'm done. So stick with me on this. Considering the word fear, it can speak of a tormenting fear, or a paralyzing fear, or an anxious fear that controls one's thoughts, drives one's actions. Uh, it can refer to a fear that dominates or lords over a person. It, it controls them. It has control over them. Have you ever been subject to a controlling fear? That's what motivates you. That's what you know, gets you thinking the way you're thinking. This kind of fear has, a, has the power to, to change a person, affect their character and their personality. That's the power of fear. That's the power of fear. Now turn to Genesis chapter 31. Turn to Genesis chapter 31. With that thought in mind, turn to Genesis chapter 31 and look at verse 42. Raise your hand when you're there. Thank you. In Genesis chapter 31 and verse 42, the inspired writer writes, Except the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had been with me. This is Jacob speaking. Surely thou hadst sent me away now empty. 
God hath seen my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked thee yesternight. Now look at verse 53. 53. Genesis 31, 53. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father judged betwixt us and Jacob swear by the fear of his father Isaac. Now, who or what is the fear of his father Isaac? Who is that talking about? It's not that difficult. The answer is right there. It's the God of Abraham. The God of Isaac is God Isaac's fear. Okay? So what Isaac feared was his God. Okay? What Isaac feared was his God, the God of his fathers, Nahor and Abraham. Okay, now here, stay with me, is a very practical application. One may say that what one fears may become one's little g, God. What one fears may become one's Lord that controls you, that dictates to you how you should live. That's the power of fear. It has power over you. Who should really have power over us? The Lord. The Lord. But fear can have power over someone. It may be the opinion of others. The opinion of others. Galatians 1.10 For do I now persuade men or God? Do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. Is it the fear of the opinion of others that control us? That dictate to us how we think, how we behave. Does it shape your character? Is the praise of men, you know, that peer pressure, uh, wanting to be recognized? John 12, 42 through 43, nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on him. But, because of the Pharisees, they did not confess them, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. For many, that's their little g-god. Is that your little g-god? Or is it something really basic, such as your belly? You know, your, your love of pleasure and having a good time that lords over you. Paul wrote in Philippians 3.19, Whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. Is that what lords over you? Is that your fear? Or just maybe it's just fear of men in general. 
Psalm 118, verses 4 through 8. Let them now that fear the Lord say that his mercy endureth forever. He says, I called upon the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me and set me in a large place. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do unto me? The Lord taketh my part with them that help me, therefore I shall see my desire upon them that hate me. It is better to trust in the Lord and to put confidence in men. Boy, I tell you what, if there isn't a verse that's applicable for us today in this environment, it's that one. Have we not seen people driven by fear just this last year and a half or so? It seemed like fear drove everything. What idols do we have in our life that overlord us? Colossians 3, 5, Paul writes, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. What are you coveting? What are you coveting? It becomes an idol. And this covetousness doesn't necessarily mean material things. No, it could be a person. You might be coveting after a person. It might be a position. It might be prestige. It might be praise. It might be you covet to have control over others. What are you coveting? All of these things stem from pride or fear. You're not acknowledging the Lord in all your ways when you're allowing this other fear to control you. Turn with me to Isaiah 11. Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11 is a prophetic passage concerning the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. He lists uh, seven attributes of the Spirit of the Messiah. Starting in verse 1, it says, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. So that tells us who this is talking about. It's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge, and what? Of the fear of the Lord. And shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. Twice we read about this, the fear of the Lord in relation to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now what is God's will for us according to Romans chapter 8? Anybody? To be conformed into the image of his son, right? That's God's will for us, to be conformed into the image of his son. That's, what, that's his whole purpose for our, for our lives, is that we be like Jesus Christ. To be conformed into the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So if we are to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ, then the fear of the Lord better be a big part of that. Don't you think? Because it was a big part of Jesus was a big part of Jesus. So in order for us to profit from this treasure of the fear of the Lord, 
right? Then we must have the same attitude that Jesus had. I come to do the will of my Father. That was Jesus' attitude. Now there are certain conditions that we must meet. Turn to 1 John chapter 4. There are certain conditions that we must meet in order for this for us to profit from this treasure of fearing God. 1 John chapter 4. Beginning with verse 16. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. He says, Herein is our love made perfect, mature, complete, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, that is not being ashamed, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is what? No fear in love. But perfect love, mature love, complete love, casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. So the first condition is, is we must have love for God. We must have love for God. We must have a grateful attitude of God's love for us. And in return, we love him, right? We love him. Why? Because he first loved us. So in order for us to profit from this treasure of the fear of the Lord, we must love God. We must love God more than others. That's what Jesus said. More than mom and dad, more than brother and sister. Now again, love, understand, in Bible, the Bible uh, uh, usage of love is not some emotion that we hear about in these uh, love songs. Love is like sacrifice. We sacrifice ourselves for others as Jesus sacrificed himself for us. In our speech... Our speech is to be seasoned with grace. Is your speech loving? Gracious? Um, service. We show love by service. Serving one another. Service. And then when... What is it, that passage? He that... The man who loves God, is it's known of him. Is that in 1 Corinthians 8? I think it is. I, I may be wrong on that. People see this. They see your love as you sacrifice, as you serve, as you speak gracious words. Philippians 1, 8 and 9, Paul writes, For God is my record, how greatly I long after you in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. So that takes it out of the emotional realm. In all knowledge and all judgment. You know, a lot of us abound in knowledge. We know an awful lot about the Bible, and we even abound in judgment in, in discerning between what's right and wrong. But if it's not coupled with love, 
You know, it has to be. It has to be coupled in love. That's part of it. Your love may abound yet more and more. Proverbs 12.18 says, There is that that speaketh like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise is, is health. You know, there's a lot of us who, who become intoxicated with the power of the sword. We have all this knowledge about God's word, and we're so quick to start slashing and hacking others with God's word to showcase our, our knowledge, to, to beat people down. I mean, whenever we hear somebody say something, you know, we're quick to pull that sword out of its scabbard and start lopping heads off. We wield the sword without love. We wield the sword without love. It says we are to grow in love as we grow in knowledge and judgment. There is a right way to apply God's word and there is a wrong way to apply God's word. Psalm 34, 9 says, O fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. Young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Come ye children, hearken unto me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is something that must be taught. It's not something that's caught, as they like to say. It's something that's taught. If we neglect the teaching and the preaching of God's word, then we'll never come to truly appreciate and understand this treasure trove of fearing the Lord. And unfortunately, so many people do not take advantage. This church is rich in teaching. And yet so many people do not take advantage of that. It's something taught. Psalms 86.11 says, Teach me thy way, O Lord. I will walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. Besides being taught, we have to put into practice what we're being taught, right? We have to put into practice what we're being taught. Not in a mechanical sense, but in a new life sense. Now this may be a poor analogy. And I'll probably butcher it. Uh, anybody in here seen the movie Forrest Gump? Probably everybody has, right? Well, there, you remember that scene in Forrest Gump? He's been drafted into the Marines, I believe it is. And he's in his barracks and the sergeant was told everybody to disassemble and reassemble their rifles. And Forrest Gump was the one out of all of them that was able to disassemble and reassemble his rifle faster than anybody else. And the drill sergeant come to him and, and demanded the private Gump, why, why did you um, put your rifle together before everybody else? And Forrest Gump's answer was, because you told me to, sergeant. Right? Because you told me to, sergeant. Okay, now bear with me. <laughs> this was purely a mechanical response performed by a simpleton in obedience to an order. That's what it was. He didn't know any differently. He just did what he was told. 
We are not simpletons. Okay? We are not simpletons. And I know I'm going to get in trouble. Somebody's going to misunderstand what I'm getting ready to say. We do not obey simply because we've been commanded to obey. We obey because we love the Lord. You understand what I'm saying? We obey because we love the Lord. That's how we show our love for God. John 14, 15 says, If you love me, keep my commandments. You can obey without love. We can obey for a myriad of reasons. Praise from others. To get ahead in that, climbing that ladder in the church. Whatever. But if we don't obey motivated by love, then we're no better than a Forrest Gump. (laughs) Spiritual simpletons. God doesn't want spiritual simpletons. He doesn't want spiritual simpletons. John 14, 23 says, Jesus answers and said unto them, If a man love me, he will keep my commandments. And my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. That's talking about fellowship. God wants to have fellowship with us. And when we obey out of love for him, that's when we have fellowship with the Father. So you see what I mean by we don't want to be just a simpleton like Forrest Gump? It's not what God wants from us. We just go through the motions of ministry and service without a heart for God. That's all we are. That's all we are. But when we do it from love, when we walk in His truth because we love His truth, love Him, that's when our hearts become united in fear, devotion, esteem, respect, reverence. He doesn't want spiritual simpletons. He wants obedient sons and daughters who love him. You understand what I'm saying? I hope so. I hope so. If you grow in knowledge and judgment without love for God and others, this will make you a spiritual symptom. You lose the whole purpose, the whole reason. Proverbs 129 says, For that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 130, They would none of my counsel. They despise all my verse. Verse 31, Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. You know, I've noticed this about folks who, who serve from other motives. They become 
uh, condescending of others, judgmental of others. They begin to grumble and murmur in their ministries. Uh, they begin to find fault with those who don't measure up to their particular state. You see what I'm saying? Who's in control there? Is it the Spirit of God or the flesh? <laughs> We make a choice to fear the Lord. That's acknowledging Him as our Lord, and we do it out of love. We do it out of love. So, uh, Proverbs 1 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. You know, the lost have a contemptuous attitude towards God's Word and the things of God. And unfortunately, sadly, many of God's people also display the same contemptuous attitude. And it often surfaces by their refusal to live in the light that God has provided for them. They know what God's Word says. They can even quote it back to you. But they don't want to do it. They don't want to practice it. They don't want to make it part of what our pastor calls part of their DNA. That's a contemptuous attitude towards the things of God. That's not showing love or esteem for God. You're not going to benefit from the treasure of fearing the Lord. Proverbs 3.7 says, Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It shall be health to thy navel and morrow to thy bones. You know, associating with evil and fearing the Lord are incompatible. The two simply do not mix. One cannot freely and willingly associate with evil and fear the Lord at the same time. You can't freely involve yourself in sinful activities, intimately associate yourself with people who want nothing to do with the Lord Jesus Christ, want nothing to do with church, want nothing to do with, with God's Word, and you cannot be free from its corrupting influences. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Be not deceived, evil communications corrupt good manners. That's not my opinion, folks. If you're offended by that, that's not my opinion. That's what, Bible, that's what the Bible says. This word communication means to have close company with, as though they were your bosom buddies, your best pals, your, what is the, what is the BFF? Now, does that mean we have absolutely nothing to do with the lost? No. No, it does not. We want to save the lost. That means we have to associate with them. What I'm saying is, is don't let them influence you away from the fear of the Lord. You are trying to win them for Christ and not let them win you for the world. You know, the interesting thing that I've discovered, John 1, 5, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. When I was, when we were brand new in the Lord, and I, we were witnessing to our lost friends, it wasn't Diane and I that separated ourselves from our friends. It was our friends who separated themselves from us. 
Because that light exposes the darkness. And men love darkness rather than light. And we chased after them, didn't we, Diane? We chased after them, but they didn't want to get caught. So what do you do? What do you do? Job 28, 28 says, And unto man he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and depart from evil is understanding. So if we desire God's wisdom, if we want to benefit the, the treasure trove of fearing the Lord, then we've got to come to this place in our, in our hearts and our minds, and we must recognize that the fear of God is incompatible with evil. It just is. It just is. And if anything is contrary to God's word, then you would be better off, right, not to associate with it. That's pretty plain. That's pretty plain. Uh, Psalms 25, 9 through 12. The meek will he guide in judgment, and the meek he teach his way. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth unto such as keep his covenant. And his testimonies for thy name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. What is man? What man is he that feareth the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way that he shall choose. You realize the Lord doesn't teach everybody? <laughs> He only teaches those who want to be taught. I mean, that's the way it is in school, isn't it? If a student or a disciple has no heart for learning, I mean, you can give them books after books, you can give them assignments after assignments, you can draw pictures. If they don't want to learn, they're just not going to learn. The same thing with God's people. You know, Psalms 25 lists some attributes require, require to be teachable and none of them addresses one's mental acuity. I like that. I don't have to be smart <laughs> for God to teach me his word. I like that because I'm not too smart. No, the, the things that he lists here is meek. That's humility. That's admitting, Lord, I don't know it all, but you do. Keep, that means remembering and being obedient to what is taught. Repentant, that's the tough one. Willing to change what God points out for you to change. I think that's where a lot of us stumble. Willing to change when God says, you need to change some things. And then fear, reverence, esteem, awe, respect, love for God in his word. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the truth. Now I'm going to throw you a curve here. Paul wrote this passage to a man who feared the Lord. So what is implied here is, you who fear the Lord... Study his word. That's the implication. Those who fear the Lord study his word. 
And again with the study, Proverbs 8.13, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and arrogancy, the evil way and the forward mouth do I hate. 1 Corinthians 8.1, Now is such in things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge, knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. You know, again, we go back to that Philippians 1.9. There's folks who have all this knowledge. They've got all this discernment, but they don't have any love. Right? They don't have any love. And you know what Paul says about knowledge without love? 1 Corinthians 13.2 And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity I am nothing. A big fat goose egg. That's why it's important to love God with all your knowledge getting. Again, we're talking about prosperity, not so much in the material sense, but in the spiritual sense. Matthew 12, 35. A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. So you see, there's the importance of associating or not associating with evil. You associate with evil, guess what you're putting inside your heart? But if you're associating with good, what are you going to come out? What's going to come out of your heart? And this is this to me is is this verse really means a lot to me, this one. Matthew 13:52. Then said he unto them, Therefore every scribe which is instructed unto the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is a householder, which bringeth forth out of his treasure things new and old. Now, me being a Bible teacher, that verse really hits home with me. Because I want to be the kind of teacher that when I reach into this treasure chest, I pull out riches that will enrich your relationship with God. And if I am not doing that, then I'm not being a good steward. And that's the value of studying God's Word because what you are doing is is you are reaching into that treasure chest with both hands and you're pulling out that treasure to share with others. That's not for you to keep. See, that's the way I used to think. I studied for myself's sake. And I kept it to myself. And I was poor as dirt. But when God gave me the opportunity to start sharing with others, that's, that's where I really started enjoying the wealth that was contained there. You understand what I'm saying? It's the same thing for you guys as well. Don't take what you know and keep it to yourself. Share it. Pass it around. Enrich others with what you've been enriched with. But if there exists pride and arrogancy and there's an absence of love in the heart and you're all puffed up about your knowledge, you may share. And then again, you may not. 
But a good man's heart is filled with charity. A good woman's heart is filled with charity. And when he or she reaches into that treasure chest and their words prove to be gracious words to those who hear what they have to say about Jesus Christ, that's treasure. That's real treasure. Have you ever led anyone to the Lord? The joy and the rejoicing that comes from that? Have you ever ministered to someone with the word and what you said to them has changed their life? Have you ever been used of God to encourage another person when they're on the edge, ready to leap? That's real treasure. That's real treasure. Proverbs 22.4 says, By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. Don't get all puffed up. Don't get all puffed up. That's where the real riches are. Riches that will never rust or fade away or become corrupted according to Jesus in Matthew 6. An honor that never fades or becomes, a fa- becomes unfashionable. You realize that we are kings and priests. According to Revelations 1.5 and Second, uh, 1 Peter 2.9. And we have life more abundantly. Through Jesus Christ. These are treasures that come from fearing God. We are the wealthiest people on this planet. And you become even more wealthier when you share the wealth. The writer of Ecclesiastes, same writer of Proverbs, said, Ecclesiastes 12.13, he says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. This was written by a man and pursued after the vanities of this world, and he came to realize, you know what, in the end, fearing God is the real treasure. Fearing God is the real treasure. Our stewardship goes beyond our stuff. Our stewardship is a spiritual stewardship. And we are to manage the treasure, steward the treasure that God has given us in his word. Do you realize that God emptied the coffers of heaven to deliver us from a coffin on earth when he gave us his son Jesus Christ? But shall we say then to these things, if God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up, delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Romans 8, 31-32. The true and everlasting treasure is the fear of the Lord and the acknowledging of him in all of our ways. Amen? Mitch, may I ask you to close out in prayer, please?